ask you to turn in your Bible to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We are in the middle of the chapter, and it's sort of an interlude between what we looked at last Lord's Day, which was about marriage and divorce and singleness, and next week th those themes pick up again, but we felt it very important to just focus on these critical verses in the middle as a section. Um, again, if you're recently with us, we've been in 1 Corinthians for months now. I'm thankful that you're with us in this time and in this place studying these words. And it rarely happens that I feel like, well, perhaps many in our congregation already kind of know exactly where we're going to go with this. Um, so I did put a video out for you all Wednesday morning. And um, I, it says essentially what we're going to just rest in this morning. That video was just me conveying how do the words of the Apostle Paul intersect what we are living in. And every Lord's Day, I have a prayer kind of, you know, you do your preparation, get up in the morning, sit in my particular spot that I have for morning preparations, and then you get done, you just close the Bible, set the notes aside and say, Holy Spirit, would you help me to only say what I'm supposed to say and not to say what you don't want me to say? Because this is ultimately a blessed gift when you're a pastor to say it's God's word for God's people in this time and place. And the last thing that his people need is my opinion about things going on in our world, but it's also very important that we believe that God has a word for his people in every time and in every place. And so I think he just has this word for us. And, and so I'm gonna ask you, would, if you would, to stand with me and let's turn into these words together that God has for each of us and for all of us in this time and in this place. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, starting in verse 17. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a slave when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of that opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord is a, as a slave is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a slave of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. This is the word of God. Father, help us. I just pray for the individuals in this room and in this building and at home listening. Lord, we need your help to have a perspective of who we are in the conditions in which you've called us. Just ask that you'd give us wisdom from on high. Holy Spirit, you'd fill our hearts, that you'd reframe folks' minds who are anxious or fixated on conditions. Help us to be fixated on our calling in the condition you've placed us. We ask for your mercy and for your help. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So Paul says, I have this rule. It's one rule. He says it three times. Let each person live the life that the Lord has assigned to which God has called him or her. He says this is a rule. He says it universally for all the churches. Then he says it particularly for each individual. 
And if you're like me, it's sometimes hard to wrestle with the fact that a rule that's a rule, especially a rule from on high, has no exceptions. None of us individually are an exception to this rule. No matter the conditions you've lived in, no matter the conditions you're in right now, no time, no place, no culture, no individual, no family, are an exception to something that the scripture says is a rule for all of us. Maybe think in terms of rule, not just as in law, but think in terms of like the law of gravity, right? It just is. God just has called all who are his. He just has. He did the first action. He's called you. And God just does govern the very conditions in which each of us receive his calling. He just does. It's a law. It's a rule. Calling, then, trumps our conditions. The calling that we've received as Christians does not demand a change in our conditions. That's what the text says. Really powerful. Because if you're your teenage self, perhaps, or maybe you are a teenager, when a rule is given, what comes next? Well, yeah, but, yeah, but, you don't know my situation. You don't know the pressures I experience out there. This rule mostly applies. This rule can help me. Yeah, but, yeah, but I, I need to get out of a situation I'm stuck in, God. You can't tell me I'm called and you stuck me in it. I need to get out. I have to get out. We need to get out. Yeah, but God, you need to change this. That's part of the deal that I have with you. I follow you, I obey you, you change my circumstances. Yeah, but my job, my vocational distress, yeah, but my debt that I'm in, yeah, but my family drama that may go back generations are on all sides of the tree. Yeah, but my marriage in the state that it's in, you've got to change it now. Yeah, but my singleness, yeah, but our childlessness, yeah, but I'm stuck, God. Now, I found some notes from a previous time preaching through this. But it's 2012, different time and place. And in all honesty, in light of what we faced this week, I thought my notes were so unbelievably shallow. <laughs> honestly. Because what I was preaching on was all the ways you and I feel stuck in our own individual lives. Just so myopic. Just me and my life and my trial. We'll see in a second the example Paul uses are seismic cultural issues in Corinth. So, yeah, what about all of us, God? We are stuck here. I, I wrote a note. What, what examples do I give right now of how stuck we may feel? And as a pastor, I'm aware that I want to pastor a church that is so evangelistic and so discipleship-centric that if somebody walks in from a different worldview of 80, 90% of the church, that we know how to love that person toward truth. So I want to be careful what I say because I'm uber offended at the liberality of our culture and the liberalness that I see. I'm not as anxious as many of you are as to where the future is going. Personally, I don't know why. I just don't have that anxiety. God didn't make that a challenge for me. I'm most anxious about how the church talks to each other. I'm most anxious if someone walks in from a different worldview. We know that the, the gospel is powerful to change them, but we have to have the mercy-driven countenance of those who are confident in truth. 
What example do I give here? Lord, I feel so stuck. We feel stuck. And every one of us in this room feels stuck differently. You're all in different debates or discussions with different coworkers about the times. And you felt that unique stuckness this particular week with me. What can we say that touches the depth of it? But here's the, the, the sentiment. God, we are stuck in conditions. We want you to change. And Paul says, no, that's what you need to wrestle with, Christian. And here's the question we'll wrestle with. How do we wed our desperation for circumstantial change with our doctrine that God governs everything and saves how he will, who he will, when he will, across all times and places and nations and cultures? 1 Corinthians is a letter, we know it's written to a very young church, a young church that had lots of questions, a church that I would propose asked the same questions we ourselves ask. And the question essentially it seems to be is this, Paul, now that we're Christians, what can we expect to change in our circumstances? We know that chapter 7 verse 1 says that they wrote a letter to him about the things that concerned them. Implication we have now is this is a concern for them. What's going to change in my life if I'm a follower of Jesus? In first century, radically licentious, super corrupt Corinth. What's going to change in my conditions now that I'm a Christian? And Paul basically answers and says, let me tell you, what will change is not necessarily your conditions. It is not your external reality. You're not stuck the way you think of yourself as stuck, but being unstuck is probably not what you think it is. That's what Paul says. So the big question for us this morning is, what does your being a Christian have to do with you feeling absolutely stuck in different conditions that have radically glued our feet to the ground in a culture that is hard. It's going to be personal this morning. It's supposed to be because Paul says, this is my rule for each of them in every church. It means this is a rule for you. It's very simple. It's repeated three times. What's the rule? Live the life the Lord has assigned to you and called you to. I mean, it's pretty powerful to me when you see the word assignment there. The Lord's given you and I a salvation with an assignment and he assigned the time and the place for it. That's what Paul says in verse 17, but it's repeated three times. Verse 20, he says it again, remain in the condition in which you were called. Verse 24, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain. Think with me about the word condition. Um, every reality has its attending conditions. A ski area will give you a map of its slopes. It will tell you the challenge of each of the individual runs, but the conditions will influence your experience on that day. It doesn't change the fact that you're skiing. It doesn't change the fact of where you are, but the conditions will be the determining factor of what you experience of that reality. The, what's the depth of the base? Was it powder or recently groomed? Did it snow the night before? Is it windy and frigid? Is it humid and slushy? Conditions will dictate your experience in that place, but you're skiing. Or I'll never say snowboarding. You may be snowboarding. Or how about the beach? The beach has water and it has sand. But if you take a family vacation to the beach, the conditions will determine the experience that you have. What's the level of the wind? What's the undertow? Was it safe to be in, in water? You ever been to a beach in New Jersey when we lived up there? 
How many people are there? That's a condition that's a part of the experience. Again, the conditions are not the essence of the thing. The conditions have an affect on how you experience such a thing. That's what Paul's saying. And so what he's saying to the church is don't mix up the conditions with your primary reality. What's the primary reality? It may surprise you, even if you listen to the video this week, but eight times in this passage, eight times in these short verses, Paul uses the word calling or the word called eight times. It's the dominant reality for a Christian. I have been unconditionally called in particular conditions. So you see in the title of your sermon, it's just kind of a play on words. Our, con our calling is unconditional. We've been saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves. God's the first mover. He called out to us when we wouldn't have wanted to call to him. You're saved unconditionally. You can do nothing worthy of being saved by a holy God. It's unconditional. Yet, your experience of his unconditional calling is conditional. It has its conditions. Paul says to the church at Corinth, I know some of you are very stuck in very deep conditions. And he references the big elephants in the room, in their room. The big elephants, one is religious, the other is social. One commentator says, circumcision and slavery represent the two most divisive phenomena in the world of the New Testament. All right, just use that word divisive and just have fun in your mind. I'm not going to say all the things you're thinking. He goes for the big elephants and says there are divisive issues that touch your ethnicity, that touch your religion, that touch your freedoms, that touch the role you play in the society around you. He goes straight at those things. And so to start verse 18, 19, he said, for, for the Jew and the Greek, those who have a dominant and very real religious or ethnic identity, he says anyone that's called to God from within a condition of circumcision, you're, you're a Jew. You've received the promises of God's covenant. He says, do not seek to become uncircumcised. I talked to someone this week and they're like, what, what in the world would that be? Well, actually there was a procedure. Some form of surgical procedure. Essentially you have those who felt I'm stuck being a Jew in a culture where I would be better off not having the external markings. One commentator says, you know, in the Isthmian Games, as we talked about it, it was opposite the Olympics, but every two years in Corinth, they'd have these amazing Olympiad-type games, and the athletes would get rid of anything that would encumber their performance, and they would often compete nude. And so he, he, one commentator said, picture a Jewish, a, a, an Israelite, a Christian, who wants to not stand out. There's a procedure for that. But think of how polarized their society was when Paul says, some of you, God called to himself in a condition of uncircumcision. Do not then seek to be circumcised. So picture a Greek Christian who's understood the gospel of Jesus by which they're saved from their sin, but in some way, shape, or form, they felt like they were lesser than. All those Jerusalemites who had the promises of the covenant of God and they had a marking on their body to evidence that they believed in the covenant promises. Some Greek Christian said, I just don't feel like I'm received as whole. Folks, this is not masks or no masks. This is unbelievably divisive. Paul says the circumstance of your Ethnicity with its religious implications, it is not your primary condition. 
That's a loaded, loaded thing to say. He said, what's primary, verse 19, is obey the commandments of God. You've been saved by grace through faith by him who kept the law for you. So go, keep the commandments of God. Be his set-apart people. That's the primary thing for you. You've been called. Serve him right where you are as you are. Interestingly enough, let's go to the next big item, serving him. Well, that meant different things to different people, didn't it? He goes into the realm of slave and free, verse 21 to 23. Were you a slave when you were called? Are you even now? It's not your primary reality. It's just your condition. Don't live for your external freedom. If you're a slave, serve freely where you are. You're a freedman in the Lord. If you're given the opportunity, Paul, almost in parentheses, says, well, take it. But don't live for it. The place to fight for change is in your soul. There's new meaning to everything you do as a servant of the king. And he says, alternatively, if you're a freed man, if you're a master who has your own slaves, that's just your condition. Don't boast. See the deeper reality that you're a slave of Christ. You're a servant of the king who saved you. God's called you to himself. Serve your master. And now, of course, you know that oftentimes in first century, slavery is not just to be thought of as the abusive institution that we know it as. So you had household servants and others. Paul's not getting into that here, but here's what is being said to us. One commentator says, a man or a woman is not normally, isn't, it's not normative for them to be called into a new condition. What is the norm is that whatever occupation or condition they're in is given new significance once they're in Christ. So that's where Paul goes with this. So Jew, Greek, slave, free, deeply entrenched, polarized cultural conditions, and Paul says, it's not your primary thing. This is heavy. Now, I said in the video this week, I said, you know, we joke at our house that maybe we, I mean, I've heard a lot of you say it. I, I'm born in the wrong generation. And some of us say it so often we, we wish it. Some people say it so often they believe it. Some function that way, right? This is just not the generation I should be born in. And many of us wish for different conditions. And the Bible is here saying, no, the conditions you're in are the conditions God's called you to. That's how it works. Now, the word of God is not saying accept whatever horrendous condition you're in without question. Abuse is okay. Horrendous work situations are okay. Injustice is okay. That's not what Paul's saying. He's not saying that with your faith in the God of all righteousness and mercy that you can't be an agent of change where he puts you. But he is saying it's not your primary goal. It's not your primary reality to change your temporaneous cultural conditions. No, you're to serve him where you are in whatever conditions he places you because your primary reality is you've been eternally called. All right, so... Regardless of our external conditions, they are not to become our fixation. That's a word that's been on my heart. So I'll just ask you, only you can answer for yourself. How fixated are you on temporary conditions in this world, in your life, in your workplace? What keeps you up at night? What keeps you preoccupied? What causes your blood pressure to rise? Are they your temporary conditions? They may be unrighteous and need your 
intense focus at times, the question I'm asking is, do you fixate upon them so much that they're starting to become your primary reality? That's what Paul is calling out. And he says, it must not be. And so the latter half of your outline is Paul says, your calling in God, from God, with God, is to be primary. What I love about what he does in this passage is he, he doesn't say what maybe they wanted to hear. For example, Paul does not minimize the Corinthians' circumstances and say, it's not that bad, it's going to pass. He doesn't minimize. Second thing he doesn't do, he doesn't just empathize with them and say, I know it's hard, honey, I'll be here with you. He doesn't just do that. Thirdly, he doesn't missionalize their circumstances and say, God put you there, go be a servant, go be an evangelist, go, go, go. All those things may be true and there are a way in which we can see the gospel affect our, our lives. But what Paul does in this text is he says, bend your mind around the truth of who you are in God's sight, not around the reality that you feel. And if you bend your mind around that truth, what's the truth? You have been unconditionally called. Eight times. Christian, do not fixate on your condition. Fixate by faith on your eternal calling that well preceded you. So now what is calling? Let's just enjoy this thought. Calling essentially is God's work. That's what is being pointed to here. God does the first call to prompt our hearts to respond to him, to know that he exists, and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. God does the calling. God is the one who works. It's about God's initiative. So you see that Paul says, live the life to which God has called you. It's past tense. It's already done. He did the calling in time, but before time. In whatever condition you were in, when he impressed on you his gospel, he's the one that did it. That's what Paul's saying. He's the one who called you. 1 Corinthians 2. Natural man does not call out to God first. Natural man has no interest in the calling of God. God's spirit calls out to our hearts and enables us to desire the things of God. So think with me about how God acted first when he called Noah, when he called Abraham, when he called Samuel, when he called David. God's calling was the first action in all those scenarios. And so, as I, I don't know your story, but I want you to think about your life. How did he call you from eternity in this life and its conditions that you know? Some of you, you were called from the condition of a covenant Christian home. Some of you were not. Some of you, and I've known people, I don't know if it's you all, but I've known people called from the condition of a jail cell. Called from a condition of sexual addiction or brokenness. Called from addiction, uh, called from a condition of fear of man and just complete oppression in one's life. Called from a condition of a shy, very shy personality or from a condition of a boisterous one. Called from a condition of Western capitalistic autonomistic culture. Called from a condition of affluence or called from a condition of poverty. Called from a condition of depression and anxiety, or called from a disposition of optimism and happiness, called from a condition of a single home or a broken home, called from a condition of a, a married home. I, I, don't, I can't, there's no limit to the end of this list. Every one of those are very powerful conditions, but what the scripture is saying is those are just the conditions in which God chose to do his bigger work of calling you to himself. The key to being unstuck in our life is to treat your conditions simply as what they are. They're conditions. 
of a greater reality. And Christians, Christian, I'm saying this to you personally, there are a lot of believers in Jesus who are commenting mostly about the conditions of the world than doing their mic drop. And they may be 100% right about what they're seeing and saying, but the world hears a Christian's focus on our conditions, not on the calling of him who saved us. We must be careful. There's a bigger, bolder, better, more beautiful reality for all of us, and it takes the whole Bible to experience the depth of it. So let me just fly really quick through some of the things we've already looked at in our service this morning. Isaiah 43, we re- Pastor, Pastor Bill read it. Calling is everything. Now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, I've redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. And it goes on, it says, I'm gonna call mine from all the corners of the earth. I'm gonna gather my sons and daughters together. Verse seven, Isaiah 43. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and I made. Christian, you are the called. That's just who you are. We could go through other parts of the scriptures. Ephesians chapter one, verse four. God chose us in Jesus before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us as adopted children. He called us to be his children so we could call him Abba Father and the scriptures say it happened from before the foundation of time. Why is the thing in this time fixating your mind so much? That was very bad grammar, but you get my point and passion. From before the foundation of time, he called you. How about from the moment sin entered the world? I was reading in Genesis 3 this week. Adam and Eve violated the law of God. They tasted that which they weren't supposed to taste. From the moment sin entered the world, the same voice that spoke creation, the same voice, walked into the garden And we read Genesis 3, verse 8. They heard the sound of the Lord. In Hebrew, literally, they heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, looking for them. And the man and the woman hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God. And the Lord called to the man and the woman and said, where are you? From the minute sin entered the world, our God's a God who calls his own, whom he's going to give his mercy to. John chapter 10, Jesus says that we are like sheep. We wander, we run into all measure of dangerous things and we don't understand the risk of our behavior. We're dumb sheep. And yet John chapter 10, Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. My sheep hear my voice. He says the shepherd calls his own by name and he leads them out. When he's brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him. Why? because they know his voice. We could go on and on. We, we spent months in 1 Peter. We're sojourners in this world, but 1 Peter 2.9, you're a chosen race. That's who you are, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. None of that's changed. If anything, it's just gotten more awesome to be the chosen people of God. Why? So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And Peter goes on, so I urge you as sojourners and exiles living in very tough conditions to abstain from the passions of the flesh. 
Now, to most of us, we hear that phrase and we think, stop sinning, stop lusting, stop lying, stop violating God's word. I have, I have a thought. What if the passions that wage war against our flesh are actually just having a conditional perspective as a Christian where you just fixate on your current reality? That's a passion of your flesh. And Peter says, abstain from it. Calling means God acted first and God is still working in you. The life you're to live wherever he's placed you is a life where you believe he's definitively called you out of death to life, out of self-glory to his glory, out of personal purpose to his purpose, out of pleasure to sacrifice, out of your determination of meaning and his declaration of your meaning, out of the kingdom of this world and into the kingdom of his marvelous Light, a kingdom that he says will come in full and you will reign with him and every nation will bow to him and he will judge all who do not repent and he will set up systems of righteousness forever and ever and the remnant who do repent will never have known such great joy and your conditions will change forever. To live as one who's called is to live as one in whom God is working right now wherever he's called you. Let me read this quote and then we'll close up with five words I want you to kind of memorize this week. Pryor says, Paul is telling the Corinthians that the key to making their present situation count is to let God be God and to let God change them daily right where he's placed them. Think about it. Circumcision does indeed present immense barriers between Jew and Gentile. But God can overcome those barriers by going to work within those he's called. Think about it. The gulf between slave and free yawns far and wide, but God can bridge the gap by going to work within both Christian slaves and Christian slave owners. What's the point? God works inside the hearts of those he's called, if you're called. And so Paul is telling you and I to let God do the work God does among the called. And look at the last words of the whole section we read, verse 24. Paul says, remain with God where he's placed you, with God. When the scriptures tell us God is with us, what does that mean? Where is he? By his Holy Spirit, he's inside of us where he's called us. Your external conditions are the time and place in which you actually believe he's in you. And it's the dominant reality for you. But we say, well, Paul, you don't understand the challenge of my life. You don't understand my conditions. You don't understand I've always lived in such difficult, messed up circumstances. You don't understand I asked God to change me from the condition of depression and he hasn't. You don't understand my conditions are unbearable. Paul, you didn't know about 2020. See, there's a real challenge here. And that's where we're going to kind of culminate with the gospel. The challenge is the Bible does know how hard it is. And so we're given a challenge in verse 23. Do not become slaves to men. You were bought with a price. Well, what does that mean? Where'd that come from? Well, understand with me, we'll see it a lot next week. In first century Corinth, there was an expectation that Jesus would return at any moment and we're supposed to live that way and we often don't. He's gonna return at any moment and Paul is aware that some are, are, are living in such a way then that they basically say, well, then I'll just throw my civic responsibilities to the wind. 
I don't have to have a job. I don't have to do anything because Jesus is coming tomorrow. I'm I'm careless in the condition God's placed me. I, I just laugh it off. I don't care. That's not the Christian response. But there were other problems going on in which radical leaders on the side of circumcision or uncircumcision, they were insisting that those were the true marks of what made you a faithful follower of God. And so they were making slaves of immature believers and saying, since the time's so short, I've got a radical agenda for you to know exactly who you are. You need to be a star-belly snitch before Jesus returns. I didn't mean to parallel that to circumcision, obviously, but you, you, if you know that story... It gets ugly if people fixate like Paul knows that they are in Corinth. Yes, there are those telling you what you must do, but you need to understand being a slave to a man is the antithesis of you being bought with a price from Jesus. Jesus will return, but be very aware that you don't have an angled, radical life of just trying to fight in your temporary circumstances. That was certainly happening in Corinth. Because you've been bought with a price, all of you, Paul says, allow no human category to define you or divide you. That's actually a quote from a commentator that was written in 1985. Paul is saying, allow no human category to divide you. 1985. I read it in 2021. I've never been in a more divided culture inside the church or outside the church. So we have a challenge here. We have one master. We have one Lord. We have all myriad of different conditions but we have one calling that we share. So here's the five words I want to leave you with before you go. You can write them down. They're all, almost all our words. First thing is repent. Brother, sister, I call you from the word of God to repent of fear of man or fear of circumstances. If you're fixating on either of those things, repent. You're defined by your call from Jesus. Second word, Wrestle. It's not an R word. Wrestle. Israel, the word Israel means wrestling ones. Wrestle with your time and place of your calling. Do that. You need to ask yourself, how come the world I'm in doesn't feel like a fit, yet God apparently stuck me here? Well, it's because you're a sojourner. And if you're trying to make a glove fit that's not made to fit, you will be miserable. So wrestle if you're miserable. What is God's purpose where he's placed you? Have you wrestled with that? Not only why did he place us in this time and place general cultural thought, why did he place you in that office near that person who wants to talk to you all the time about it? When Corey and I went through church planter assessment years ago, almost failed, learned some hard lessons about our need to repent and grow up. But one of the things that came out of that church planter assessment time was this. They said, you both as husband and wife must be united in your calling to this because there will come a time in which all you have to lean on is the fact that God called you there. All the conditions are going to scream at you that you shouldn't be here. All the conditions will, and your feelings are going to tell you you don't fit. 
it's going to be war against your marriage and war against your soul. And all you'll have as a husband and wife is that you know God called you there. That's all it felt like for eight years, if I'm honest with you. Wrestle. Why has God called you to be a Christian here and now? In this church. You're called to be a servant where you are. I found an old quotation from a book by Kyle Eidelman called Not a Fan. If we're quick to say, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus, as Inigo Montoya and Princess Bride would say, I do not think that means what you think it means. I'm a follower of Jesus. Not if you, if you think it means being a fan of the work Jesus did, you're going to be a miserable Christian. Here's what Eidelman says. He says, I think Jesus has a lot of fans these days. Fans who cheer for him when external things are going well, but who will walk away when it's a difficult season. Fans who sit safely in the stands cheering, but they know nothing of the sacrifice on the field. But Jesus was never interested in having fans. When he defines the kind of relationship he wants, enthusiastic admirer is not an option. My concern is that many of our churches in America have gone from being sanctuaries to stadiums. And every week, all the fans come to the stadium where they cheer for Jesus but have no interest in following him. The biggest threat to the church today is fans who call themselves Christians. You know what's the most annoying kind of a fan? Fair weather fans. Paul is saying, if you have your conditions drive you, Christian, before you know it, you're just a fan of sacrifice. And if your conditions really drive you, you're a fair weather fan wrestle with following Jesus in this time and place as an evangelist, as an apostle, as a prophet. Imagine if Jesus, imagine if Jesus would have let his conditions dictate his response. Imagine if Jesus would have gotten distracted by the conditions and started fighting a different battle. You would have no cross. We would have no savior. But instead we had the son who knew he'd been called by the father to accomplish a task with single divided devotion. Wrestle with the gospel in your time and place. Thirdly, redefine. Redefine what it means to be stuck. If you feel stuck in your life, you have to understand from a biblical perspective, God stuck you there. His providence governs everything. Secondarily, to be stuck is more of an internal issue for a Christian than it is an external one. Very hard to understand, but it's true. The problem is not being stuck in external circumstances. The problem is many are stuck in a version of Christianity that does not elevate calling to its proper place. And when I live in a version of Christianity where calling is not my reality, my conditions will become the essence of what I think it means to be a Christian. So I think that's number three, redefine stuckness. God stuck you there because he's sovereign. He also is telling you in the scriptures it's an internal heart issue more than it is your circumstances. Fourthly, reevaluate your theology if you need to. Many live with a regretful theology, right? An if-only theology. If only X will happen, then Y can happen. If I could just have X go away, then I can start to do Y. If I could just get out of X, then Y. The scriptures say, no, no, that's not the gospel. That's totally exhausting. We don't have a regretful theology. We have a redemption theology. Because of X, then Y. Because of Jesus paying the price for my sin, now I can serve him wherever he places me. 
I'm not constantly trying to get out of my conditions. Because of his condition, I'm content in any condition. Reevaluate your theology. And finally, this is the last thing I'll say. Rest. Rest. Exhale. Love the people in front of you that God's asked you to love. Radically love them. Laugh. Relax. Christian. The conditions will change forever. I've been listening to a sermon series through the book of Zephaniah. The day of the Lord will come and it's going to be judgment beyond what we can imagine for those who've rejected the living God. It will come. And when the day of the Lord comes, it will be a day of rescue for the redeemed. And your conditions will be beyond what you could ask or imagine. The trees are going to bear fruit every month for the healing of the nations. You can't fathom what's awaiting you, Christian. So rest in your confidence that the conditions will change. There's a little bit of a longer sermon. They're starting to always be that way. I apologize. Let me pray. Father, would you give us grace this morning to rest in the calling we've received by Jesus? As we now take the Lord's Supper, would you nourish us in confidence because of what's been accomplished for us in him? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.